I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, I just pray for a moment. Father, I ask that uh, you would pour your spirit out on all of us, but especially upon my tongue. And the words that I would speak would only be the words that you want said. And that you would receive all the glory and honor from this. That our hearts would be open to you and, and our minds would be open to you. And that we would be encouraged by what you have to speak to us this morning. Through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is quite strange for me. Um, usually in Honduras, I'm wearing shorts. I do have my flip-flops on still because I didn't bring any decent shoes with me because I don't wear them anymore. There's no need for them in Honduras. And uh, I'm competing over the sound of cantina, cantinas right around the church, playing their music on Sunday morning, blurring it loud. And... Uh, usually have my sidekick with me. For the last several years, half of our church is, is gringos, Americans that are missionaries, and the other half are Hondurans from, from the area around the church. And so Alex translates for me when I preach. So you kind of have to gear sermons to being doubled up. <laughs> so... As far as time goes this morning, it may be a short one, or it may not. I'm, I'm not really sure, because I'm not sh i got to do it all by myself this time. I tried to get Alex to come up for you, Lucy, but he refused. <laughs> anyway, looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, um, Paul had been in Ephesus, he had preached there, they had received the gospel, and it appears they had wholeheartedly received it. And he's off now probably in Rome, and so he's writing this letter to them to encourage them. And he, he's writing this letter to believers, and I believe this, is, this section is one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, and all of Paul's writings. Um, Partly because it's, it's just such a, such a concise rendering of who we are, them as the church in Ephesus, but it speaks to us today. He might as well be writing this letter to us. And so starting in uh, Ephesians 2, verse 1, he says, and you he made alive when you were dead through the trespasses and sins in, once, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among these we once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind, so we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul tells us that God has made the Thessalonians alive. And in the very same way, he's saying to us, he has made us who have faith that we too have been made alive. We've been made alive when previously we were dead. He wants to remind us of our previous way of life. He wants us to know who we are, and before we can really know who we are now, we need to remember who we were. And so he brings that to our attention. Says the way that we functioned in the world was, was completely wrong. Our life's philosophy, how we thought, our passions, our desires, both in body and mind, all of who we were was dead. We were dead men walking. We were zombies, I guess. <laughs> Thinking that we were the ruler of our own life, in truth, we only subjected ourselves to the ruler of the air, the spirit that is work in the sons of disobedience, Satan. We merely subjected ourselves to him, thinking we could be the king of our lives. We were sons and daughters of disobedience, born of the nature of our father Adam, who rejected the goodness of God and for his own selfish desires led to his own death. Um, it's probably a little early in a sermon to go out of, on a rabbit trail, but you can stone me later. Paul writes in the first chapter of Romans that God's nature can be clearly seen throughout his creation. And, you know, there's a philosophy going on today in the world, and the world will try and get you convinced of this, and that is that there is no absolute truth. But in God's creation, he shows that there is absolute truth. And unfortunately, death is one of those examples. Death is absolute. There's no sort of dead. There's no kind of dead. There's no kind of alive. You're either alive or you're dead. One or the other. There is no in-between. Life and death are two of these examples in our world that we can see that there is truth and absolute truth. And Paul tells us the truth, and that is that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And in verse 3, he tells us 
that not only were we dead, but we were by nature children of wrath. Because of our sins and trespasses, because of our death, God's anger is upon us. His wrath is upon us. We're nothing, we were nothing but dead people waiting for the time of his eternal wrath to fall upon us. We were enemies of God. Paul brings this up in, in, when he writes to the Romans. He says, the mind of the flesh is in enmity against God. James tells us the friendship with the world is enmity with God. God is a God of law and justice. When we were in our trespasses and sins against God, we were judged guilty, given the status of an enemy of God, and considered dead, solely reserved for future outpouring of his wrath. In verses 4 and 5, Paul says, but, in yet, God being rich in mercy, because of his vast love of him with which he loves us, and us being dead in offenses, he, God, makes us together with Christ live. God being rich in mercy, us being dead in offenses. That verb to be, only different when it's talking about God being singular, meaning God, and plural, meaning us, being dead in our offenses, it, it has the idea of uh, existence without explicit limits. God, without explicit limits, is rich in mercy. We, in our life before, without limits, were dead in our offenses. But, he says, God has made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and made us to sit with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God chose to give us life, to make us alive. And not only that, he has raised us up with God himself and he makes us to sit in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Calvin, in his commentary on this, he, he says, The resurrection and sitting in heaven, which are here mentioned, are not yet seen by mortal eyes. We, we don't see this yet. We don't experience it necessarily at this moment. He goes on, Yet as if those blessings were presently in our possession, he, Paul, states that we have received them. We actually have received them. And illustrates the change which has taken place in our condition. Our condition has completely changed. We have gone from death to life. And I would go even further, and again, you guys can stone me when I get out, but... Um, 
Just as we know that Christ ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God interceding for us daily, and we know that Christ is the head of the body, and we know that we are the body of Christ, and the head is not separated from the body, that in some way we truly do sit in the heavenly places with Christ. It's, I suppose, a mystery that we won't understand until we see its total fulfillment. But I truly believe we are, if we will think about it and concentrate, we are there with him in the presence of God. Why has God done this great work for us? Paul says in verse 7, so that in the coming ages, he, God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God desires to show how incredible his grace is. Um, just as his, his creation declares his glory, we ourselves, when he gives us new life, we are a declaration of his immeasurable grace. And it will be made even known more so at the consummation of his kingdom. He moves on and kind of gives us a very condensed version of the gospel in verse 8, which I think is probably one of the most important verses in, in all the Bible. He says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. It's God's immeasurable grace that has saved us. Nothing else. There was no negotiating table where we as the enemies of God could come to the table before God and sue for peace. We as his enemies could not do that. We have nothing that we could bring to the table to negotiate. No works, no riches, no wisdom, no good looks. Not that would work for me, any, but nothing. We've got nothing. <laughs> and if you really, really think about it, even if we did have something, that we could bring to the negotiating table? It wouldn't work. The dead cannot negotiate with the living. The dead can't negotiate. But God, through the work of Christ, bestowed grace upon us, and made us alive through faith. It is his grace that makes us alive, and it's his grace that is a gift. There's nothing we being dead could do to attain this grace. We gain some understanding of the grace through the faith that he has bestowed upon us. And we're told that faith is a gift of God. But, you know, just like dead people can't negotiate, dead people can't receive gifts. We needed 
God in His grace to raise us to new life again before we could even receive the gift of faith to understand the great work that He's done for us in His grace by giving us, choosing us, and giving us life again. Why has He done this? Because it gives Him pleasure. Because that's the love that flows from Him. And He has done it in this way so that no man could boast. Nobody can say, well, I, I had a part in my salvation. He, he has made it clear. If you are really alive, God has done it. There's nothing that you have done to get to that place of life. And he, he goes on in 10 to say one of the reasons why he has given us new life. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God had a plan for us from before the foundations of the world. He had a plan to give you life to raise you up, to give you faith so that you would understand the life that you've been given, so that you would understand the work that Christ has done for us to pay the penalty for our sin, all so that we could walk in good works in Him. We're His workmanship. He made us. He gave us life in Christ. And he did this so that we would walk with him in his works. So that we would be a part of the building of his kingdom. And he doesn't just leave us alone. He gives us other gifts to build. Other gifts to enable us to build each according to his will. Some to preach, some to teach, some to give, some to help. But all to love. He gives us, us all the gift to love, to display the love of God to those around us. Um, I don't know the the history of these banners. But for the last couple weeks, I've been looking at them as we've been in here. And it's just like this is a reminder to us of, of who we are and what God has done for us. These banners are a reminder to us. Because we were dead, God in his love gave us life. Because the work on the cross of Jesus, our penalty was paid, and we're no longer enemies of God, but we're at peace with Him. 
Because of that peace, we have hope. Hope of a life with God today, empowered by God today, and hope of an eternal kingdom that we will actually be able to see and be a part of. From that hope, we have joy. We are filled with the joy of His Spirit. And the joy of His Spirit, we're empowered to then turn around, start at the beginning, and like God, love others and proclaim the kingdom of God to them. I thank you for the opportunity this morning to speak to you. And this is a reminder to me too. I need to remember who I am so that I'm concentrated and I'm focused on doing the work that God has to do. As a friend of ours in Honduras who I share the preaching with says, how's he put it? That's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> uh, you stand for the Benedict. Oh, wait, you gotta sing first, don't you? Yeah, why don't you do that?